These are the voyages of Geek Top 5! Yay! Our continuing mission to seek out news and play civilization. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we're here to give you the top five things that you need to know to be in the know with the top geeks who are out there. Um, coming in right at number five, and honestly, that's unfortunately giving it a bit too much credit. I, man, we really wanted Suicide Squad to be better than this. Yeah, it uh, it looked like it was finally going to break this DC movie curse. It uh, You know, they had the, the, the trailers with Bohemian Rhapsody, with Ballroom Blitz. It's like, it was going to be kind of dark, but kind of fun. It looked exciting. Reviews, not looking so good. Yeah, yeah. And I went in after having read some of the reviews, so I sort of, I had a better idea of what I was in for. And even going in with that, I, I do think the a lot of the reviews are a bit overblown with how bad it is. But it is a mess. There's a lot of stuff that just doesn't gel with each other. There are plot points that go nowhere. There's plot elements that are just recycled repeatedly. I mean, you know the Joker is in the movie. He He's in all the trailers. It would be one thing if he was just in flashbacks to establish Harley Quinn's origin story. Even then, would have been a waste. Like, like the trailers really focus on him. Like, it made me wonder if maybe he was the bad guy in the movie. Yeah, he would have been a, a much better bad guy than what they ended up with. But he was just, uh, he was completely unnecessary to the the rest of the plot of the movie. He kept popping up here and there, but the the major thrust of the movie, the thing they were going for, he had no impact. You could literally cut all of his scenes out of the movie, and it, you wouldn't know anything was missing. Except then, would you have had any reason to have Harley Quinn in the movie? Because it doesn't seem like she did very much else. I, I don't know. She She is... Very important to the the final con- confrontation with the villain, even though that is silly. They, they, one of the main problems I had with it is they try to force that these guys are a family. You know, they start off as just this hodgepodge group that are that are thrown together, and they are all bad guys, and they don't want to be friends. They're just doing this because they have to. And by the end, they're like, "Oh, we're a family. We're a team. We we're all great friends." And you're sitting there in the theater, at least I was, going, "But why?" Like it was. They, it was never established. There's no actual friendship between them. Yeah, and they're all kind of a-holes. Yeah. Like, these are all bad people, or supposedly bad people, but they don't seem to be very bad. It uh, And then no- nothing happens to them for a while, and then they're best friends? But, yeah, it's there, there are ways to write this where you can find them likable, and you they can be redeemed, and you can totally see them becoming friends. It's like, you know, in the Game of Thrones stuff with Brienne and uh, uh, Jamie. Jamie's a bad guy, and Bran's very honorable, and they're thrown together, and they become friends, and it's earned. You see that friendship develop. Well, hey, you want to talk about earning, think about, so you take all these bad people, and you put them in a bad situation, but they learn to work and trust each other. That's called Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, (laughs) right. So clearly there's a way to do it, because it already did work. And by the end of that movie, they're a team, and they're friends, and you buy it, because they do work together, and they do have conversations and interactions that that show you... I mean, it's that that storytelling cliche, show-don't-tell. Guardians of the Galaxy, you show them becoming friends, becoming a team. This... They just keep telling you over and over again, we're friends, we're a team, but they don't do anything to actually show you that that's the case. So obviously, we're personally outraged. Personally, um, ah. and, and honestly, even outrage is a bit strong. I feel like with us and with a lot of the reviews out there, the outrage is more a sense of disappointment. Yeah. Just because so, it looked like so much was... like It looked like this movie was going to be so great. It looked like it could be fun. Like, it would be a movie you wanted to buy and watch with people. Yeah. It looks like it's not a movie anyone wants to see ever again. Um, the critics especially, like it's sitting, I think, at a 27% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. The audience score is higher. Yeah. Um, so I guess the general viewer doesn't hate it as much as the critical reviews, but it's just, it seems like it's a total mess. And a lot of the talk going around is because everyone was worried about those reshoots a little ways back. Yeah. Which, again, we talked about, that happens in film all the time. It's not uncommon, but it sounds like they sort of in post, try to take this in a different direction, maybe as a reaction to Bat vs. Soups? When you see it, you can sort of, you feel this tug of war going on between a lighter movie and a darker movie, and it's ended up with this mishmash in-between thing that is neither a good light movie or a good dark movie. 
Personally, I'd like to see a director's cut of of the director's version, you know, David Ayer. But he is he's been very positive about the movie and very he's he hasn't shown that there's any discord with the studio. So I don't know if that'll ever happen. Right. Which is something that happens in movies are coming out. You know, I remember Patrick Stewart there in an interview telling me that Star Trek Nemesis was some of the best work he'd ever done. And I went to go see it, and Patrick Stewart has never been exactly the same in my eyes since. I still feel that burn, Patrick. <laughs> but to, So maybe as time goes on, we might hear a little bit more about exactly what's happening behind the scenes of this. Yeah, I would love to see sort of what Suicide Squad looked like before it started getting messed with. Yeah. And that's always the eternal struggle, isn't it? Between, you know, like the... You know, people always associate it with, like, the studio control on one side. What that really means is trying to make the most marketable movie, the one that will sell the most tickets, versus a certain artistic vision or mm-hmm. a certain direction that they're not entirely sure will sell well. It sounds like this ended up, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, and I, I think another problem with it... And I think it's, again, a lot of the success of this movie has to go to the marketing team. Because they made it look fantastic in those trailers. But when you think back to the trailers, they never really show the villain. Or, like, not the villains, because they're all villains. But they right, never yeah. really show... We don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. They're just a bunch of bad people going to do something. Yeah. And the reason they don't show that is because the thing they're fighting is is dumb. And it's just magic. And it doesn't... There's no real motivation to any of it. Which is why I thought it would be the Joker. What what a great antagonist for that group of people, especially for Quinn, but just for that that world. Yeah. And then it throws Batman into a weird thing, because who's he, like, is he going to work with them against the Joker? It seems like such an obvious, I guess they didn't want to go in that direction. And it also would have been a better use of these characters, because they're they're sort of street-level characters. They use guns, and they use brute strength, and and stuff like that. So throwing them up against magic just seems like a, a poor match, you know? Putting them up against the Joker, who doesn't have any real power other than the powers of persuasion, the powers of crazy, would be a better fit, I think. Yeah, there's a reason why Doctor Strange fights the Dread Dormammu. Yeah. And, yeah. And Captain America fights Batrock the Leaper. Well, okay. And Nazis. <laughs> yes, yeah, Nazis. And Nazis. In any case, moving right along, um, different kind of fan outrage. This is sort of a weird one, following an unfortunate trend we see back and forth. Um, Way back when, uh, Nintendo released Metroid 2, uh, Holidays of 91, on Game Boy. Metroid is sort of one of their the red-headed stepchild of the Nintendo franchise. Uh, she's had a few... You know, st- stars Samus Aran, Intergalactic Bounty Hunter, Bad Girl with a Power Suit. Very cool. Not a huge success. Hasn't had a huge number of games. 30th anniversary of the series came by recently. And it's like, you know, when Zelda had their anniversary, there was a whole thing with games and toys. When Mario had an anniversary... Metroid, nothing. Nothing from Nintendo, but a fan team, I think it mostly just one guy, released a full remake of this game from 1991, this old Game Boy game. This was, this was the another Metroid 2 remake, but he released a full game. It looked more like a sort of Super Nintendo-style graphics. The, a lot of the graphics were lifted from 16-bit, a lot more from like the Game Boy Advance and such. Mm. But he redid this entire game and sort of remastered it and made it sort of made it a little more palatable to today's gaming tastes and put it out there. And of course, the next day, you know, Nintendo issued copyright notices and it's been taken down. You can't do that. Well, the thing but, is, if he, was he asking for any money for it? He was not, but still... The way copyright law works is you're obligated to protect your intellectual property. If you don't, you're setting a precedent that you don't care about protecting it. It just that's, seems like... That's how the DMCA works. The interesting thing about this, though, this did not come as a surprise. Like, it's hard to program an entire game. This guy has been talking about doing this for four years, at least. Yeah. And he had a countdown going to when it was released, and it was up for a little over a day before Nintendo said take it down. Maybe I'm just too much good guy Nintendo, but is it possible they kind of wanted to let him get it out there and you know, let him play for a bit before the lawyers, you know, had to force them to shut it down? I mean, I guess that could be, but the other, the flip side of that is it's also kind of a jerk move to let him do four years of work on it and then have it be released for one day before pulling the rug out from under him. All that work for one day's worth of... But one day, it means it's out there. That's it, true. It's, you know, I downloaded it. I got it in time. I've been playing it. It's fantastic. 
fantastic. It feels like a Metroid game, which we haven't seen in a while. It's the Metroid games are all about this really sort of creepy, like alone in an alien environment thing. Yeah, does it really well. Great soundtrack, great environments, fun to play. Um, it's really the closest thing we've gotten to a, you know, what people would consider an actual Metroid game in a long, long time. Now that it's out there. I, people are going to be, you know, doing on P2P clients and torrenting, and people are going to get a chance to play it. You know, like you might have to bend a couple of rules, but it's one of those not very enforceable rules. You can get your hands on this program. You can certainly try it. Now, so you say it's it's the first in a long time of of what you would consider a real Metroid game. What do you consider those? Wasn't there a rail shooter or something like that? Or there, there's, the last couple were a little strange. Um, they're releasing one for like, for the 3DS soon. That's sort of a first person shooter. Uh, it's inspired by the Metroid Prime series, which is a first-person perspective, but still very exploration-heavy. Mm. It had a lot to do with analyzing your environment and like reading cryptic alien lore. Um, since then, the games have gotten a little more actiony and a little okay. bit less interesting, right. per se. And so the you know the diehard Metroid fanatics aren't very big fans. Um, also, none of them have been selling very well since the Metroid Prime trilogy, which is the real reason why Nintendo doesn't do anything. Ah. Uh, but the news here is just that, like you know, these fan projects, these are such interesting things to me that someone could devote that much time and that much effort. Like you say, it's a jerk move letting them do it. I feel like let them do it, let them get it out there. At least it's sort of out there, and they still finish their legal obligations. Other companies would shut this right down. I remember about 10 years ago, somebody was making a 3D remake of Chrono Trigger. And okay. I think it originally started as a Nintendo 64 intended project, and then it moved to the to PC. If you want to Google Chrono Resurrection, it's still out there. It was I sort of remember that. Yeah, it was by this guy, Nathan Lajure. And all he put up was like a couple of sort of panning around his, the 3D environments he created and a couple of animations, and Square Enix jumped on that. He mm. said, absolutely not. That's our property. Don't touch. And then they didn't do anything with Chrono Trigger for 10 years. <laughs> all they've done is release a remake and... You know, when we talk about a remake here, this Metroid thing, you know, he took a Game Boy game, put it on the computer, added all these features, touched up the graphics, made it wait. All they did was just re-release the same game. Okay. So people feel like they feel like they're being stepped on because they want more. Obviously, they want more of this content enough to make it themselves. But on the other hand, the company can't let you do that because you can't just take someone else's intellectual property and do something. On your own, like like the, the you know the nightmare scenario is the way Nintendo used to protect all their copyrights so much because look what happened with the Mario Brothers movie, right? But they, it's not like uh, Warner Brothers who, or whoever made a Mario Brothers movie that Nintendo didn't know about or did it behind their back. Like Nintendo was involved; they had they the, issued the license, yeah, and then Warner Brothers or whoever it was tarnished the brand, right? Anyway, so it's kind of it's occupies a really weird gray space and it doesn't really apply to anything besides video games. Well, it like, kind of does though, like fan films. The the a more really recent example is what Star Trek has done. They've released these really, you know, uh, uh strict rules on what people can do when they make these Star Trek fan films, even though for literally decades people have been making their own Star Trek products for years and releasing them for free on the internet without ever bothering anybody like nobody saw those and saw felt that it tarnished the brand or did anything like that and it's just now I don't know I guess with all the new Star Trek products launching they wanted to clamp down on it but it makes in my eyes anyway it makes Paramount look bad especially when you look at uh, Lucas Arts and, and I guess now Disney and how lenient they are with the Star Wars fan films. They, when it was Lucas in control of the whole thing, he had competitions for who could do the best fan film. And that's the other side of the argument is isn't this kind of thing just encouraging fandom? Like yeah. encouraging people to get into your product, encouraging them to be more excited about it? It's common sense says yes, the legalities of it say no. In any case, so far what they're doing is legally they've said no. If you if you know the back channels of the internet and you're into Metroid, give this thing a try. It's pretty cool if you can find it. But again, it's sort of up to you know whose opinion is whose to figure out whether it's the right thing or not to shut it down. Okay, so the next uh, piece of news we have is a lot to do with uh, what is slowly becoming the DCW. The CW network on TV is just 
half their their lineup now is DC based TV shows. Yeah, I think it's just going to be a superhero network at this point. Not yeah. even necessarily a bad idea. <laughs> they have four DC based shows: Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, and DC is Legends of Tomorrow. And the the Supergirl just moved over from CBS, as I'm sure you heard on a previous episode of Geek Top 5. And now they're going to do a crossover, a mega crossover of all four shows. As predicted by Geek Top 5. And I, I can't wait, that sounds really cool. But another piece of news that just came out is there's going to be a separate crossover just between Supergirl and The Flash, and it's going to be a musical two-parter. <laughs> Which, I mean, is a riot as an idea, and also... A hundred percent a throwback to that episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Which has led to rumors that Joss Whedon is going to come on and direct those two episodes. Which would be perfect, because that's what everyone wants from that. Especially since it's been so long since we've had any new Joss Whedon stuff, this would be a great way to get him back in the the limelight. The other thing is that uh, another connection here is that both uh, the star of Supergirl, Melissa Benoist, uh, or Benoit, I don't know, Melissa B. Melissa B. Mel B. uh, (laughs) Grant Gustin from The Flash were both on Glee, and Joss Whedon directed an episode of Glee, too. So It's possible this has been in the works behind this. This might be their sinister plan (laughs) to get these characters dancing and singing. Yeah. Uh, Now, in Buffy, they sort of tried to work it into the plot. Like, it was a curse, right, that made them all have to communicate by singing. God knows how they're going to do it in the superhero context, but I don't think it matters. Yeah. I think it's just, what a funny idea. I think there's a, a villain called the Music Meister or something like that who uh. was actually voiced, again, by Neil Patrick Harris, another Joss Whedon regular, yeah. and he voiced him on uh, Batman Brave and the Bold. He's he's a uh, uh, That was a cartoon series that uh, was m- more in the vein of the Adam West Batman TV series, where it's a little campy, a little over the top. It'd have to be. Yeah. So they, uh, it just it, it writes itself. It would be really cool to to do it, and uh, I don't know. I I'd like to see it. I'm not a huge musical guy, but with these properties, it kind of makes sense. It's I mean it's a tough call. I mean certainly it could be a lousy musical, in which case it's just going to be really irritating and then break you down and make you go, why are they doing this? <laughs> But it sounds like they're just looking to do something fun, both for the fans of the show and just the people working on the show. They want to do something hilarious. Yeah. I back that 100%. Uh, Well, if it's a villain who's doing it, it's just like the demon curse thing, you know? It's sort of... I mean, that was a bit of... Like, I'm not saying that was okay. I bring that... Like, that's what they (laughs) use to justify it. Okay, demon cursing. Okay, fine. Because it's a silly show. Yeah. It's... I guess that the super dork in me, that, that is getting a little twitchy. All right. Well, we'll I'll, I'll show you the episodes. We'll we'll see it. There's also a bunch of other casting news that's come out. Uh, there's they're going to be adding uh, Miss Martian and uh, Mon L, another Kryptonian survivor, onto the Supergirl TV show. Miss Martian is sort of like uh, like the Supergirl of Martian Manhunter, right? And Martian Manhunter is already a regular cast member, so that's kind of cool. Uh, bigger news though is that Dolph Lundgren. 80s action superstar and also rocket scientist in real life. He's a rocket scientist. He's going to be... he's a chemist, actually, but, I mean, he's very smart. Yeah, yeah. Rocket scientist. It sounds better. All right. <laughs> so he is going to be uh, throughout this season in flashbacks. I think uh, there's a, a running thing on, on Arrow where they do flashbacks every season to how characters got started and runs... It's a sort of a B-plot that runs through the whole season. So, he's going to be involved in those, and I mean, Dolph Lundgren, every week... Do we know what he's going to be doing? Great, like He's some sort of Russian bad guy, I think. Okay, fair yeah. enough. It's a good fit. Either you love him or you hate him. I guess, the, nowadays, either you love him or you don't know who he is, because <laughs> if you're under the age of 35... Yeah, I mean, Expendables was the first movie he'd had in theaters in something like a decade, so he, he had definitely fallen off the radar a bit. But every week, so a bit more Dolph Lundgren. Uh, I'm not complaining. It certainly couldn't hurt the show. Yeah. Another sort of uh, cool B-list actor who's going to be turning up is Lance Henriksen, who played Bishop in the Aliens movies, the, the one of the androids. He's going to be playing Obsidian on uh, Legends of Tomorrow. He's a, a Justice Society of America character. I don't really know too much about him, but uh, hey, I'm all for Lance Henriksen. He was also on the TV series Millennium by uh, Chris Carter, the X-Files guy. Oh, yeah, okay. 
So he's he's got all this cool cred. I'm excited to see that. Legends is also introducing Vixen, who debuted as a cartoon character on this uh, the uh, CW's website called uh, CW Seed, and it was always tied in with the Flash and Arrowverse, but it was a cartoon, and I guess it was popular enough that they've cast the voice actor who played her on the cartoon as the character, the live-action version of her, and she's going to be a regular on Legends of Tomorrow. That's pretty impressive in terms of casting. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah. It does seem like I, now I've now I have officially there's too many superheroes out there for me to keep track of. Vixen's power is that uh, she can get the the powers of whatever animal she wants. So if she wants to run as fast as a cheetah, she calls on the power of the cheetah. She wants to be as strong as an elephant. She calls on the power of the elephant. Okay. Yeah, it's comic books. Uh, there's also going to be another DC uh, cartoon starting on this this CW website called The Ray. Actually, I think it's called Freedom Fighters, colon, The Ray. And it, he is actually going to be gay in the cartoon. So he's going to be the star of it, and he's going to be a gay cartoon character. And if... It follows the trends of of, uh, Vixen. Maybe next year or in a couple of years, he'll end up on the TV series and we'll have a new gay cast member for one of these I'm going to need like a whole new binder to keep track of all this stuff. Yeah, it's definitely, they're definitely starting to pull from the B and C ranks of the DC characters, but that's still cool. Let let them shotgun it and see what what hits. Yeah. So that's that's all the the DCW news we've got. the next big thing yeah. is... Back up to the silver screen. Yeah. Plenty more Star Wars news came out recently. Oh, yeah. Um, so, we, we so first off, saw the new trailer for Rogue One. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it, it, doesn't, it didn't seem to reveal much more than the teaser trailer did, but there's a lot more footage. You finally get to see the, the robot that Alan Tudyk from Firefly voices. K2SO, uh, following in a long line of comic and homicidal robots in the sort of expanded universe of yeah. Star Wars, following from HK-47 and Triple Zero. Great to see it on the silver screen. We get to see more of sort of the individual characters and a little bit from each of them. We get to see the, like, not a Force-sensitive, but Force-devout blind martial artist. Very cool. Yeah. We get to see a little bit more of Forrest Whitaker's Saw Gerrera. You get and to that, see some uh, action scenes with an AT-AT, the firing rocket launchers at them. That was pretty cool. Apparently an AT-ACT, but... Ah, well, excuse right. me. <laughs> there's actually not that much new to discuss about the trailers, except that there's a cool new trailer out. Really cool sort of piano remix of the Imperial March played in this. I think it's a minor key. It's a fun trailer. You should go check it out. You get a little glimpse of Darth Vader at the end. Very brief glimpse of Darth Vader. Surprise, Black Helmet. Yeah. I mean, who knew? One of the, the things I, I took away from it in multiple viewings is that it's the first time you really get to see at least in the movies, how ragtag the Rebels are. In the uh, in A New Hope, they've got the whole Yavin base, they've got enough ships they can go out and fight the Death Star. In this, you see, they're just sort of cobbled together. There's there's guys who look really defeated and they're getting dragged away by stormtroopers. I, I, I like that. It's a side that you, you hear about a lot in the movies, but you don't really get a chance to actually see. The whole movie seems a lot dirtier. And, it's, yeah. and, that, and part of that is because of the tone they're going for. This is much less of a fun adventure and more of a gritty war movie. And considering but, when A New Hope came out... That, the fact one of the things that they did to set it apart from Star Trek was talk about how dirty it is, and if this makes a new hope look clean, well, a, you know, a full generation of computer graphics and you know the amount of money you pour into entertainment these days that helps too. Yeah, don't get me wrong, uh, but it looks great. Uh, the more interesting thing, maybe in terms of news, though, uh, not regarding to Rogue One at all, but going to the young Han Solo movie with Alan Alden Ehrenreich. Thank you. Uh, is that in addition to having a young Han Solo, of being, how did we not see this coming, there's also going to be a young Lando Calrissian. Which makes a lot of sense, because we see those characters have you know, some backstory, and that'll be fun. Yeah. What isn't confirmed, but what's really heavily in rumors right now, is the casting. A lot of people saying Donald Glover. Now, he was in Community. He also got a lot of internet notoriety when people started petitioning for him to play Miles Morales in uh, uh, the Marvel movies. You know, obviously, they ended up going with Tom Holland instead, but uh, and going with Peter Parker instead. But, I, I don't know. This is interesting casting news, but it's also like, when it comes to casting a young 
black man, there are only so many names that, that come to the surface. There's like Michael B. Jordan and Donald Glover. But to look at Glover, I mean, he's already sort of a geek icon and he has a lot of that cred. And as silly as it sounds, like people have already been sort of photoshopping him in as a young Lando. If you like Google this, you can find it. He really does look <laughs> the part. And just, I, I'm certain he could carry it, and it looks right, and it just, it sounds like such a fun addition, because you know that, like, whatever they do with Donald Glover, it's not going to be a 100% dark and serious role. Yeah, yeah, he'll be, he'll be good, he'll add a certain zest to it, I think would be nice, but again, it's all pretty much just rumors at this point. It's a lot of rumors revolving around it, so it's one of those things where it sounds pretty credible, it probably just hasn't been ink drying on the page yet. Um, again, and part of the news again is just that we do know for sure there will be a young Lando, which is interesting. Like Lando kind of gets, he's sort of the Winston Zedmore of Star Wars, or maybe Winston Zedmore is the Lando of Ghostbusters. I think, like, I, I mean, I think Lando has a bit more to do than Winston Zedmore did, not to disparage. True, but when people talk about Star, uh, the Star Wars, they talk about Luke and Leia and Han, and probably yeah. Chewie. Yeah. They forget, Lando's in there for a lot of it, and he's charming. He's the, he's the gentleman scoundrel. And he, he blows up the second Death Star. And he blows up the second Death Star. That's you know, That goes like he became a general. Yeah. Somebody heard about his maneuver at the Battle of Teneb. There you go. Right? <laughs> I, I just He's underrated as a Star Wars character, and it's delightful to hear that he's going like, to he's gonna develop that role. I'm excited they're going to do that. It was when he, when he shows up in the cartoon in Star Wars Rebels, it was the first time I really realized like there isn't a lot of other material about Lando. Yeah, we and don't he, know a lot about his backstory, even with the expanded universe stuff back in the day. Yeah, he always sort of just happens to be doing something else and they end up on the ride with these crazy guys again. Yeah. It's fun to see that he'll be in there. So... Yeah. Speaking of uh, of star products, we can't really talk about Star Wars these days without also bringing up Star Trek. Man, they love just teasing out oh, the information yeah. for this new Star Trek TV series. Yeah, Brian Fuller, um, jerk, <laughs> but manipulator of my heart. And he's doing such a great job. I can't believe we keep talking about it. They just tease out just enough that yeah. gets us excited every week. So let's go over this real quick. All the things that he's let out that we know for sure right now. Um, so the show has a female lead. She's not the captain. She's a lieutenant commander. But it sounds like she's going to be in a position of authority. It's set ten years before Kirk's mission. It's pre-original series, as predicted by Geek Top 5. And <laughs> especially Jesse. Especially me. So <laughs> just want to make that out there. Um, there will be a gay character, as predicted by Geek Top 5. And in this case, predicted by Graham. Uh, there will be robots, which I actually thought was sort of a weird thing to mention. But, yeah, it sounds like okay. someone asked him about it, and they said, will there be robots in this? And he said yes. And so, I, I don't know, what does that yeah, mean? Yeah, okay. Um, he alluded to the fact that he's really interested in the character of Spock's mother. Um, she has a name. Okay, yeah. Amanda Grayson? That's the one. Thank you. <laughs> and then, mo in the most interesting, what's the show going to be about? And I copy this quote verbatim. There's an incident, an event in Star Trek history and the history of Starfleet that have been talked about but never fully explored. We're telling that story through a character, yada, 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 yada. He confirmed that that event is not Kobayashi Maru, it's not the Romulan War, and it won't be Section 31. So all of us Star Trek geeks are out there. Like, apparently this was discussed in Star Trek, probably in the original series, and they've picked that up and they're doing, but what is it? <laughs> Now at the time, we, we've got to start like going through episode by episode and writing down any, everything they reference. Yeah. A lot of people are thinking maybe it's Axanar, which is the subject of the Star Trek fan film, which has been in so much trouble lately. So what's that one about? It's a, it's a Federation Klingon conflict. Um, and there was a big fan film that came out about it, and then they were sort of okay with it going. And then the people were saying that part of the reason for making this fan film was to raise money for their own studio. And then Paramount was less okay with it because they were making rightfully money. So. Yeah, completely rightfully so. Back and forth on whether or not it's good. But people are saying, oh, maybe here's why they decided to shut it down for good. Because they want to do Axanara of their own? Maybe. Maybe. Um, besides that, I mean, a Klingon conflict has to be the... Like, what else is there? Because in the original series, there's the Klingons and the Romulans. Yeah. And then, like, the crazy stuff, you know, the Greek gods. Yeah. They're not going to do a whole thing on that. The only stuff that we can really go on is that teaser trailer, and 
I mean, this is getting really desperate, but there are sort of Klingon-sounding musical cues in that. And a cloaking device. I swear to you, that text comes up to the sound of a cloaking device. I still don't buy it fully, but you you got me on the the dating here. Yep, I was right about that. (laughs) They've also said that the the ship is going to look different than how it looked in that that teaser that was released. They've redone the design a little bit, but it's still going to be based on the Ralph McQuarrie design. Hopefully it looks... A bit more polished than it did in that teaser. But again, the show isn't ready yet. I understand yes. why it wouldn't be 100% polished. We're waiting desperately to watch it. We can't wait to see it. And it sounds like they're going to keep leaving this trickle of information running. And we're just going to sit there trying to lap it all up. Yeah, I mean, expect more news next week. Uh, we'll probably be talking about the wigs that they've bought for the show or something. Yeah, they, they did release a screenshot at some point of an Andorian's antennae. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In any case, those are the top five coolest things to talk about this week. Uh, we'll be cutting shortly to our guest segment, but we just wanted to acknowledge... Uh, we just had a rebuttal come in really quickly. You may recall we were talking about Gilmore Girls way back with David Hall, yeah. TV guy extraordinaire. He was discussing the uh, the plotline of Luke's daughter on Gilmore Girls, and that it was a bad plotline. And uh, we had a rebuttal from Zinni. She says... Sorry, I have to disagree with you, Ari, the Gilmore Girls, and Luke's daughter. Previously unknown children do pop up in real life, and it's a plot device used quite regularly. Luke basically choosing his daughter over Lorelai was a stupid move, but then people make stupid choices all the time. It also reflected Luke's feelings of being a failure in a previous parenting role when Jess came to stay with him. It was a necessary plot device to throw Lorelai back together with Christopher to show her what an actual bad match that was. And the finale was so worth sticking around for. Valid counterpoint, I suppose. If you have something to say about it, I believe that was posted onto the site. That was on geektop5.com. So if you have something to say about that, head on over to geektop5.com. But don't do it right away, because we'll be right back with our special guest segment for the second half of Geek Top 5. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to Geek Top 5. This week, we've got... Mike with us, Mike O'Leary of Elevation Pictures, not here in an official capacity this week, here to tell us a list of the top five DC Comics movies. Yeah, now, it's no secret that on Geek Top 5, we've been eh, consistently disappointed by DC's products. I mean, mostly only because as products, they're subpar. Um, <laughs> but to provide an interesting counterpoint to those attitudes, Mike, you've got a lot of this DC stuff under your belt. Like, you've got this, right? Yeah, Absolutely. So, can I put some contacts into my rating list before we start this whole thing? All right. Please. So, I had a very hard time narrowing the last to five. And, like, it's a hard thing to think about because DC, there's not that very many movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, I went through. And, to be fair, this isn't actually my true list. I try to do my favorite from each franchise. So, I don't want to keep the same franchise moving along. Same thing. Just get more different titles out there. Fair enough. So, with that being said, my number five is Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Oh, my God. I don't even... How is that number five? That's honestly one... That might be my favorite movie of all time. The movie The movie is incredible. I agree. I enjoy everything about it, but it's number five. So. Okay, so what's... Well, I mean, it's if you're... Like, everyone watched the Batman, like that trilogy, the Nolan trilogy. Right. This is the second one. This is the... If you haven't seen the movie, you at least got the zeitgeist of Heath Ledger and the Joker. Yeah. And Incredible just, performance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a hard thing to top. After seeing Jack Nicholson as a Joker, you're like, no, how can you do that? And you Mark Hamill's Joker from the cartoon series, also. Yeah, also fantastic. Sometimes underrated. Well, that's how... When you read Joker comics, you're reading Mark Hamill's voice. I don't mm-hmm. care who you are. And people were nervous, remember, when Heath Ledger was cast, because they thought he couldn't do that. And they're right, he couldn't do that Joker. Right. But he made the Joker his own. It was phenomenal. I gotta go with Graham. If I was gonna name the best DC movie ever, I might have gone with The Dark Knight. You you put it at number five, which must mean there are things about it you don't like. Well, yeah, there are things. There's things about every movie I don't like. This movie... So with this movie, what I find most interesting, everyone hails it as a perfect movie, but it's far from perfect. It's full of just as many plot holes as every other DC movie and every other Marvel movie. Such as? Such as, for example, the opening scene when he takes a bus, when he steals the bus to get out of the bank and break out. He goes into a line of buses and he just drives away calmly. So he's pulled the bus out of a, a crashed bank. It's crashed into a bank. He blew up a bank wall. Yeah. And drove through the wall into a line right. of school buses to escape. Number one, every driver on the street, instantly you'd stop. You'd instantly stop and be like, this is the guy. This is the guy. That's him. All the other school buses are full of kids. It'd be very easy to pinpoint. 
And like, I'm fine with this. I don't care watching the movie. I still enjoy the movie. That doesn't make me like it any less. I just think if you're going to judge other movies these ways, you got to look at other things in these movies the same. Everything's got to be viewed equally. Hmm. I would talk. I would argue that there's a certain level of suspension disbelief I would try to give all movies. Um, certainly, if you scratch that itch, it becomes a little more noticeable. But yeah. you know, in a in a world of capes, like some things I've got to let go. And I mean, like, honestly, you started mentioning that scene. I thought what you were going to point out is the very start of that scene. Before we know it's the Joker, we see him standing on the the curb, and he's holding the mask in his hand. So does that mean he's just standing there like, in his Joker makeup on the street, and everyone's okay? Like. Those kind of things. Yeah, they, if you think about them, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'm willing to give that a pass. Like, that seems to me like a small thing that I can let go. Yeah, I give it a pass, too. I give, the, I give everything a pass in these movies. They're all comic books. They're all fun. I still enjoy them, but I'm just trying to show points in all these movies that I feel like the general po- population just go with the flow. They like what the critics like. They do that. They don't have I, their own opinions. I totally disagree. I think most people hate what the critics... Not hate, but I, I find that a lot of times the critics and the mass population are really different. Like, if you look on IMDb and look at the user rating score versus the critic score, very rarely do they sync up. Yeah, but that's also because the fans who like it the most, they're just going 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, or 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. That bulks the whole thing up. Well, right. rating system on the internet, sure, but I mean, let's make a timely reference here okay. with Suicide Squad is currently getting panned in reviews, but Blockbuster hit in this opening week. I think people confuse money with quality. You know, people have paid a lot of money to go see it. That doesn't mean they liked it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. a lot of people went to see the movie and paid their, their ten shekels. I think it's more of a testament to uh, the, the marketing team for getting that many people into the theater with a subpar product. But, I mean, so I don't want to... Maybe this will end up on the list. I don't want to step on any toes. Work, working in movie marketing, I'll give thumbs up to the marketing <laughs> team. So, um, Also, so I'll say my biggest, the biggest plot hole and the moment that took me out of the movie the most while watching the first time is when Bruce Wayne's having that Harvey Dent party at his house with all the sponsors there. The first time the Joker comes in there, he's trying to attack the party. Batman has his little, like, hole in his apartment, comes out in his costume, goes to confront the Joker. He throws Rachel out the window. Batman jumps out the window, grabs her, falling down, falling down, falling down, lands on a car. He's fine. I'm fine with that. It's a comic book movie. I don't care. You just fell 30, 40, 50 stories. You land a car. What pissed me off was you cut to the next day. The Joker's up there in a party in your apartment with all your guests, and you cut to the next day. What did Batman do? Did you just let him walk down? He take the elevator down, <laughs> took the elevator back down, and walked away. That's a fair point. I think I think uh, he Batman went back up, Adam West style, climbing up the side of the building. It took him a while, but right, he, he had got to stop to talk to some celebrity. Yeah, in the window, window. Yeah, obviously. and then he gets up there, and the Joker's gone, and they, it's just you had to cut it for time. Well, show me that, and if that was the case. <laughs> And the Joker's gone? Why is Batman a dead end? He'd obviously have clues to follow the Joker other. He's Batman. He's the world's greatest detective. Fair enough. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I feel saying, like... I'm, I'm, I'm personally fine with it, but I'm saying people are going to judge movies for certain things, and someone say, I assume they did this, and they'll be you can't assume they ever showed me that, but you're assuming here in one of your favorite <laughs> movies of all time. Right. I guess I guess the, the easy answer for me, though, is that there, there are, like Jesse said, with every movie there's a certain suspension of disbelief, and there's a push and pull with that. And if the filmmakers push too far, they lose me. If all I can do is think about all the plot holes, then they've lost me. But if it's still entertaining enough, and I, the plot holes are, I guess, spaced out enough, I just sort of roll over them. I feel like we're going to hit more examples of these <laughs> as we move on. Uh, let's head on to the next one. We're, we're really going to start butting heads over this, I think. <laughs> What's your number four? So number four, I guess speaking of plot holes, is a good segue. Batman Returns. <laughs> I actually love Batman Returns. It's my favorite of the Tim Burton movies. It's got a good nostalgia factor to me. I know when I when it came out when I was a kid, I remember getting a Happy Meal toy for it, and I was stoked. And it's a movie that shouldn't have had a Happy Meal, but <laughs> that was a big thing, right? Like, like parents were coming out that this movie isn't for children. Yeah, and the, they said Catwoman was too sexy. Which I, she I, was, yeah, she was. <laughs> is there such a thing as too sexy? Oh, that there is for. <laughs> does anyone know meals? what was? Does anyone know what it was rated? I guess it was back in the early nineties. It had to ninety two. PG thirteen. So. PG thirteen. PG in Canada, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So PG, the yeah. it's pushing it. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So what's so just refresh your memory. What, what's the deal with this movie? So it starts off with uh, Pee Wee Herman playing the Penguin's dad. He has an ugly. He's a rich dude. Has an ugly child. He's ashamed of his kid, and they just kind of throw it in the sewer, and that's essentially grows up to be the Penguin. And this is the second Batman movie. 
Batman, he's doing his thing. Penguin kind of rises up from from the ground. The sewer. The yeah. sewer. Discovers who he is kind of thing with the help of Max Shrek, played by Christopher Walken, whose assistant is Selina Kyle Catwoman, who she kind of finds out he, Matt Shrek's kind of a bad guy, and he pushes her out of a window, similar to Batman and Rachel falling out of a window, and she magically lives because cats lick her and give her powers. Yeah, so the, I, even then, I remember that was a little weird, the cat <laughs> I, power thing. But I buy it. I have fun. Like This is a movie I loved when I was a kid, and like I remember when the Nolan movies came out, I was always like, no, man, Batman Returns is the best ever. It's way better than all these. And then I watched it probably like a year or two ago again, or maybe even this year, and I was like, wow. This does not like this is not a good movie, but I still love it. It's got the nostalgia factor <laughs> yeah. to me, and it's something that will always have a special place in my heart, and that's why Fair it's enough. ranked high on my list in number four. It's definitely got that Tim Burton kookiness oh, yeah. to it. Yeah, it went. I feel like maybe with the first Batman movie, Tim Burton had uh, some some restraint in him, some need to make a, a big budget movie, and then once he'd succeeded at that, he just went full Tim Burton in this one. With the circus stuff and the giant floating rubber yeah, did ducky. Did he ever explain why the opening fight is he's fighting a circus? Does that ever come up again? It's the circus gang. What are they called? They're, they're just the, the big top gang. Yeah, big top gang. Are there something like that? Yeah, and just and not tied to the Joker at all. But no. just just like here's some guys on stilts who throw. I mean, Batman's got bad luck with the circus. And Batman, he's ruthless. He torches them. That scene where he turns the Batmobile around and just flamethrowers <laughs> the guy to death. He's <laughs> running in the, in the streets on fire. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, as much as people complain about uh, some of the the antics in later Batman movies about with him using guns or like. Uh, hurting people unnecessarily there's a decent amount of that in these michael keaton ones too oh, although there's, there's a bit a, more there's a lot in these <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of less focused yeah. on i think and there's a thing they do go into a thing with catwoman like where she has nine lives right and she loses most of them over the course of the movie she keeps getting shot or pushed out of yeah. things right or, like they do a lot of bad things to that character. She falls off a roof and lands in a dump truck full of kitty litter all right i don't know how that was there but can she electrocutes herself yeah. Okay, so these are all things that we didn't like, but it's like... We, I don't know, it doesn't sound like Mike didn't like them. No, I enjoy, like, to me, when I watch a movie, I watch a movie on pure entertainment value. If I go into a movie and I come out and I had a great time, I love it. It's a high rating for me. That's how, that's how I rate my movies. I'm not going to a movie looking for reasons not to like a movie, I'm going, to reasons to, I'm going to a movie for reasons to like it. And so when I see a movie and it's got something like this and I'm just having a good time still, and like this movie, if this came out now, it probably wouldn't be on my list. But the fact that I grew up watching this movie over and has that nostalgia factor, and I go back and rewatch and kind of laugh at some of this stuff. Do you want to talk about uh, the portrayal of Catwoman? You're a big DC guy. Oh yeah, so that was <laughs> she's not she's not at all Selena Kyle. But personally, I don't care. I think when I see these movies, I don't be like, oh, you're different from the comics. You're different than this. Everything in its own medium. Everything's rebooting itself, telling its own story. There's been so many variations of all these comic book characters through time. And if someone says, oh no, that didn't happen in the comics, why are they doing this in the movie? To me, that's just completely ignorant because there's so many versions of comics. So I made one comic once where this was the version. You'd be cool with it all of a sudden. No, you wouldn't. It's because it's not your version in your head of this character. Right. Because everyone has their own version of where they see the best of each of these characters or where they first related to these. And if it's anything different in this medium, everyone just freaks the hell out. Unless, okay. you know, but again, you know, that goes back to the, the Heath Ledger argument. Like, he did his own Joker, but he did it so well that people really got into it. So as yeah. long as the, the reboot is good, then that's okay. You know, it's if you do reboot something and you do it poorly, that's when a lot of arguments come up. Right, and uh, yeah, you're right. I think Catwoman and uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's take on her there it was a good version of her, even if it's not necessarily the most accurate to the and common version. But it didn't really make sense how all of a sudden she could do like flips and kick ass and whatnot. Yeah. But... It's magical kitten power. Magical kitten. <laughs> As a man who loves kittens, I support magical kitten power. So, <laughs> okay, so should we move on to uh, number three? Number three. Number three, so I went for the animated route on this one, and it, it was a, I was debating in my head which animated film to put on, and ended up putting on Justice League Flashpoint Paradox. You know, so this is interesting to me. Like, as much as I rag on DC, DC has always had fabulous animated movies. Until The Killing um, Joke. Well, okay, yeah, we talked about that last episode. That was... <laughs> woo. <laughs> 
But in general, I mean, like the ones that stick out, like the Green Lantern one was phenomenal. Oh. I wish they had just done that instead of the yeah. theatrical one. I love the Wonder Woman one. The Wonder Woman origin one with Nathan Fillion was, I mean, and the rest of them were good too, but... <laughs> Justice like, League Doom was incredible. Yeah, it's... it's Dark Knight Returns, Dark, Batman Year One, so many good ones. I feel like it's, just, it's such a struggle. Like, people will go see these movies in theaters, but they won't watch these animated productions because there's still that whole, oh, it's for kids, man. I think having them come directly to DVD probably also doesn't uh Well, but who's going to who's going to air it in the theater? That's true, but it makes it them harder to find, I, I think. Well, it might happen more now cuz Killing Joke made 3 million in one day play in theaters. Do you think that Well, anyway, I think that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Let's get back to yeah, uh, so Flashpoint. Flash now that this is based on the comic arc. Yeah. Um and and you think this is the star of the animated films. Yeah, this um, like no other movie has really like made me weep as much as this movie. This movie gets to me every single time. It starts off with the Flash, and it's a Justice League movie starring the Flash, which is rare to ever get. Number Definitely. one, it's always Batman. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very cool. This is kind of Batman too. So essentially, skipping over a couple insignificant things in the beginning, Barry kind of wakes up in this different Barry timeline. Allen the Flash. Barry Allen the Flash, where his mom is now alive, and he's like, "Mom, he can't kind of believe what's going on. It's her birthday, and he's excited." And as he continues to discover things are different in this world, like for example, Iris is now married to someone else, doesn't know who he is. And his whole world is kind of a little bit different. And, and then, he's not the Flash. In yeah, this world, yeah right? he's lost all his powers now. Yeah. He tries to use his powers, but he can't. He's kind of freaking out a bit. So he realizes in his head, he's like, okay, Zoom must have had something to do with this. I don't know what's going on, but i got to figure it out. So he goes to his, his good friend Batman for help. And so he goes to meet him, and he's talking to him. He's like, Bruce. He's like, why are you saying Bruce? So he's like, it's like that's my son. My son was Bruce. And so essentially in this story... Uh, Bruce died in the alley that day, and Thomas Wayne, his dad, took the mantle. And his the death of Bruce in this world caused his mom to go mad. And, his, and Bruce's mom is actually Martha. She's now the Joker in this whole world. So the whole world's upside down and backwards and batshit crazy. That was a cool twist. Well, this is all happening. The whole world, this world's kind of ending. The Atlanteans and the Amazons are at war with each other. That's Aquaman and Wonder Woman's tribes. They're kind of taking over the world. They have a whole like worldwide war going on. Anyway, so he's trying to get his powers back so we can tap into the speed force and go back and kind of fix whatever caused this whole thing. So yeah, so he recreates the experiment that gave him his powers with the help of Thomas Wayne. First thing that happens, they do it. Nothing happens. He's just horribly scarred and charred. He's like a corpse of a body. Yeah, and so, so Barry, that, the way Barry Allen got his powers the first time is he was in his, his crime-fighting lab and he had all these chemicals and he got hit by lightning and the lightning and the chemicals together gave him super speed. So in this... He what? He gets into a chair on the roof in a lightning storm that's covered in the chemicals. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. and Smart. he ends up burned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that that Family Guy bit where where Adam West rolls around in the radioactive goo. Right. And <laughs> you have lymphoma. <laughs> what were you thinking? It's kind of like that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, now Thomas is like, is this guy just insane? He's like, one more time. They do it again. He's got his powers. He's pumped. <laughs> Yeah, um, for some reason it works the second time. Yeah, it works the second time. Well, but there's a, there's a, a the exact science. There's a character the thing. Like he finds his confidence before then, right? Like okay. it's tied into other stuff, right? Yeah. But, so, so yeah. And now at this point, he's like, "What's our next step?" And he's like, "We got to find Superman. He'll help us." And and at this point, Batman's like, "Who's Superman?" So what's really cool here is they kind of do a whole Superboy kind of take on Superman, where Superman was captured right when he came in, and he's been living underground. So he's kind of like when like the Teen Titans first meet uh, Superboy when he's stuck in Cadmus. He's kind of buried his whole life, doesn't know the world. It's a super thin, scrawny Superman, just down at the bottom. They end up breaking him kept, out. Kept out of the sunlight. Doesn't know the world at all. He hates all humans because he's been stuck down there. Comes out, he gets pow he's powerful, doesn't know, but he trusts these guys, and it's up to them to kind of, I don't know, save the world. Essentially, they go the, the big final fight with everyone, blah, blah, blah. Adam, something happens to the Adam. He's about to blow up, kind of end the world. And then, while this is happening, Thomas Wayne ends up shooting um, reverse flash zoom in the back of the head, right through the head, kills him. Because he's now dead, Barry can now access the speed force again because he was hogging the speed force and kind of go back and change time as the world's kind of ending. And so, before he does this, Thomas gives, gives Barry this note. And so he gets this no, and he goes back in time, and like, blah, 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 changes everything, and like, reverses it, whatever happened. So essentially what he did, initially what he realizes, he's the one who actually caused this whole thing to happen by going back and saving his mother. And so he can't save his mom, he has to stop him from saving his mom. So it's kind of bittersweet, where right. it's either your mom lives and the world ends, or you lose your mom. And so he comes back, and he's back in the present day. He's confiding in, in Bruce about this, Batman. And, um... He's telling what happened. He's like, but the weird thing is, I still have my memories. Like, I know 
I remember my mom, I remember growing up with her, so I still have that life, and but I can still remember this life, because I don't know what to make of it. And at this point, I'm already kind of getting a little touched up, and Batman, just consider it a gift. And you're like, ah, oh, that's very <laughs> sweet. But then, as he says that, Barry hands Batman this note. From his father. And it's yeah. for Bruce. And Batman's just reading it. He takes off the cowl at this point, it's got to be Bruce in this, and you just see him reading the note, and just tears start dripping on this. And like, if you can make Batman cry... <laughs> I could, I could, I could, I'm, I'm gonna be a big sucker for that. So, yeah. so it's, 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 it's pretty just touching. It's beautiful, man. It's it's absolutely beautiful. It's a beautiful story. It's well done. It's exciting to watch. It's an interesting mystery. Yeah, and that's what they're doing with the Flash TV show right now. They're doing Flashpoint right now. So, uh, so tell us more about this. What? So is it just the the heart tugging at the end that really puts it over the top for you? It's the whole thing. The whole story. The whole story is so fantastic, and like how it's told, and you don't really know what's happening. You don't know what's going on when you find out it's his own fault from saving his mom. Again, heart. It's like the it's like the motto of I guess the Flash TV show. What is it? Heart humor, uh, something like that. Something like that. Heart but like, humor. As soon as you have heart, and like I don't know, it's just it's touching. It's all the characters that I love, and you see what would happen in an alternate universe if say Batman did die. You see what his dad would do. You see Superman. Like, in a whole new way you've never seen it before. You see Wonder Woman and Aquaman just being badass fighting each other. It's it's also... And they used to be lovers. That was pretty cool. Batman and Aquaman, or Wonder Woman and Aquaman hooking up. It also is cool that it goes into such depth with the, the universe. You know, a lot of these cartoons, it just focuses on, you know, one or two characters. But to have them go through so many of the DC characters, and you have to sort of already know a bit about their normal version to appreciate this changed version. It's like, it's a real hardcore comic book fan's ideal movie, I think, as far as these sorts of things go. It wouldn't, I don't think it would play well as a live action thing, because it would just take too long to explain it all. But for an animated movie designed for fan boys and girls, it's, uh, it's pretty solid. Yeah. Do we want to move on to number two on the list? Number yeah. two. Number two. I think, so I was listening to an earlier podcast from you guys, and this was <laughs> on someone's list for the worst comic book movies ever made. So to, without anything else, jumping into it is Man of Steel. Yeah. So, this is, so far, this is the first one that'll be on a worst of and a best of list. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, I mean, we've already discussed, and I'm sure we'll bring up again what we didn't like about Man of Steel. What did you like <laughs> about Man of Steel? So from the very start of the movie, as soon as you go on Krypton, that whole opening scene with Jarrell, I don't know how anyone in the world listened like that. The whole time, on the edge of my seat, man. When I saw, the- I was too distracted by it being heavy metal. Oh, not me. I was, I was literally in tears. I was in tears really? in my seat. I was just like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Especially when I saw it for the fourth time. I was in D box, and like the seats are moving, and when like he goes, Haraka, and that like beast flies in, he like jumps off on his back. I don't know. I, I've never seen Haraka before in Superman, but I love that creature. He's so <laughs> badass. And I know you were saying how, you know, every version's a different thing, but there has never been a version of Krypton that's anything like the Krypton in this movie. And again, if, if it was of, good... I think in, um... No, in John, Burns, in John Burns' Man of Steel run, Krypton was kind of like that with the birthing chambers, and that was all from... Right, but it didn't. Um, but the weird, sort of twisted nature technology thing with it's yeah. like we're in the future, but we have pterodactyls. Yeah, like it. It just I didn't buy the you know the alienness of it at all. I was sitting there and it was just it looked like something a twelve year old would draw on the cover of their notebook. <laughs> no, but to me, if you can understand the alienness, you clearly don't know their culture because all these alien cultures, how they evolve and how they're raised and how everything goes over there. We could never imagine what's over there. We don't even know what they're breathing or what like kind of like what kind of organisms are on their planet. We don't even know what kind of metals they have, anything they have, like any mineral. We don't know what's going on over there. So you're th- you can't make an argument you don't buy it because you don't understand it. I don't understand. How I'm not. Make, I'm not saying power. I don't buy it because I don't understand it. I'm saying I don't buy it because it's dumb. <laughs> but I don't. Know. I don't understand how you could say it's dumb when there's so many things that person you love that were the exact same as that. No, there's a difference between, I can let go, is he standing on the curb wearing his Joker outfit? Yeah, okay, it's a comic book. But this enti- to make me buy an entire world, the world has to make sense. What, like, if it was most of the world makes sense, and this, like, he just happened to be a zookeeper, and he had a pterodactyl in this one scene, okay, fine. But nothing about that world made sense to me. And so I was pushed out of the immersion. I couldn't figure out where they were going, why they were going that way, how anything worked. Drove me nuts. We can agree to disagree. So, to be fair, it's, actually, it's a really long part of that movie, oh, too. Oh, it's incredible. I was hoping which, for a spin-off. It like, takes Jarell a Krypton long movie. time. But they're talking about doing that Krypton TV series. True. Oh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but anyway, like, that... So aside from that, the rest of the movie, which is actually a Superman story, kind of, 
the stuff that happens on Earth I'm getting at, I found so plodding and so uninteresting. You must have found it rapturous. I want you to tell me why. So, pretty much when he lands on, you get on the side of, when it first comes to Earth, you get in like Superman grown up now, and so you're kind of seeing him trying to find his own way. And he's trying to figure out what to do with my life. I don't know what to be, who I am, and what to do. So he's kind of investigating the whole world, trying to figure out what his path in life is, saving people on the odd chance where he can. And that's a totally Superman thing to do. He doesn't know anything about his past at this point or anything about whatever. Okay. Just figuring himself out. And like, cool, I get that. I watched a lot of small, but I know you got to figure yourself out. Um, <laughs> so that, I'm down with that. And then, I don't know, and then next he finds the ship, calls Zod over. Like, I don't know what, like, I don't know what you want me to say, what I liked about it. I liked everything. <laughs> like, like, what didn't you like? I can tell you why I liked it. My, one of the things I have the hardest time with in the movie is uh, Ma and Pa Kent. Yeah. Mm. They, it's not that they're different from the, the, the comic book version, although that is a problem for me. But the problem is that I, they're utterly unlikable. They're so callous. And, like, both of them are, like, basically say, Clark... Don't help people. It's not worth the trouble. That no, that's what that's that's what Paul can't say. And Paul can't say he's not saying don't help people. It's more apparent where their child's gonna be taken away from them. It's more his dad saying like don't expose yourself. If you do this, you don't know what's gonna happen. They're gonna they're gonna put you away or they're gonna do experiments on you. It's literally what any actual parent would think about their kid. I know you want the dad to be in like go out there, save people, be good, but realistically, if it was your son and you had say you had a five year old boy and he could do these amazing things. Wouldn't you tell him be like, just don't, just like, like we're rich. <laughs> would you, or would something, <laughs> would someone take him away from you? Especially if it was an alien son that you found adopted, so you have no legal claim to him. <laughs> like he could be completely gone. You could never see him again. The kid's life could be over. I don't know. I would have a hard time balancing. And the hardest part is like, I know people complain. They're like, one of the great things about uh, about Superman. And everyone's like, oh, this is how it, how it always happens with his dad dying. I'm like, no, it's not how it always happens. It happened in like a couple comic books, and it happened in the Dick Donner great film movie. Where his dad has a heart attack and he dies. Yeah. And his dad's like, and it's like the one thing, like Superman, you can save people from all these things, but you'll never be there all the time. You can't stop a heart attack. You can't do this. And so in this, instead, it was like the dad being like, no, he, let the tornado he take me. He sacrifices himself for no reason. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree. Superman no. can save him, but I think it's, it's but so... But even then, he no. could have saved himself. He, he walked into a tornado <laughs> for no reason. Yeah, he went to save the dog, and I think he's showing him that, like, even, like, believe in humanity, they can be superheroes, and you don't need to, like, it's, it's like, you gotta trust me, just be on your own. I'm willing to give my life so you can have a normal life. The one thing everyone is going to be irritated with if we don't ask, uh, and I'm actually, I feel like I'm going to be on your side for this one, but I want to hear your opinion on it. The big thing that everyone had with this movie was Superman killing Zod. Yeah, I don't I personally don't see why it's an issue. I think cinematically it played well. I agree Zod could have easily just looked a little more left instead of turning his head and fried that family. I also yeah. think but, or Superman could have like held his hand in front of the heat vision. Or done something like that. Yeah, but I think yeah. so it plays cinematically. I think it works and I think when he does it and the scream and the pain in his eyes, I felt his pain in the theater and I had some tears going down my cheeks too. I was like I'm with you, buddy. But I just think if the the movie has to it has to earn a, a death like that. And I think there were still so many avenues he could have taken. Like, I feel like he has to be, in Man of Steel, he needs to be put into a corner before he kills someone. And he, I don't think he's in a corner yet in that scene. When he kills Zod, there's still so many options. And just to be like, I don't know, he couldn't think of other options isn't a good answer for me. But I don't want to get bogged I, down in this. At, this. at the same time, though, it's like you guys are worried about him smashing buildings, going through stuff. Yeah. That's his other option, to keep fighting him through. Or he just flies into space, throw him into the sun. Or lures him to the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah. Which For is... It, it, the Fortress is gone at this point. Well, okay, it's, it's an example, because that's what... But, I, but we'll get to that too, in a second. But Number number also, with this... You know how this, fight, this whole fight started? This guy's been Superman for like four minutes. He sees this guy beating his mom. Some guy beats your mom. All you're going to do is just go full pound ass and kick the shit out of them. You're going to be in pure rage mode and you're Well see and that's where like that's where people are upset because that's what you would do, that's what I would do, that's what Graham would do, but we all think that that's not what Superman would do. That Superman is supposed to be better than that. And I understand you're saying he's only been Superman for 4 minutes. He's not that Superman yet. I understand that argument. Will he get there though or are they I, trying to do a Superman in like modern day? Like like yeah, the, in the Snyderverse who knows, <laughs> but I think that's what they're shooting for is that he's going to learn his lesson. But I don't think I uh, like I said I I don't think the movie establishes that well enough. But I I don't want this whole thing, this whole man to steal conversation to be us 
ripping at it. I, I want to know a bit more about why you like it so much. So I will say, this is my number one reason why, but I will say Man of Steel has the best score of like any comic book movie since, I would say, the original John Williams Superman. That score is moving, it's touching. That's the one thing that all, like, as much as everyone bashed on DC movies, the DC movies, like, they all have the best scores. Batman vs. Superman, Man of Steel, Dark Knight, all those scores are incredible. And that's the one thing that other movies don't hit right, and I think that's a good thing that DC does. Interesting thing I hadn't considered. Okay. Any any other statements you want to make about why it, Man of Steel deserves to be number, what is it, are we on two here? Mm. Number two on your list? Yeah. Number one, like, so my first thing to say about this is Superman is my favorite of all comic book characters. And everyone complains, oh no, we have a Superman that fights, doesn't do this. We actually had a Superman that kicked ass, and people complained. So do you guys just suck a lemon? <laughs> I'm keeping it PG. Mm-hmm. I love Krypton. Right, okay. And like, sure, in every movie, it's like even the earlier movies I talked about, there's little things in that movie that like that doesn't make them perfect. Like there's stuff in every movie that I don't like. In every movie I like. There's stuff I don't like. But is, is that going to hinge everything on it? No, and I think a lot of people out there too are so gung-ho on like, oh, I love Marvel, I hate DC, or I love DC, I hate Marvel. They're going to both worlds, and they'll just find the opposite things in other people's movies and bash them. I think it, it exists in both worlds, so both people just got to be open. Okay, but so regardless of what other people think, the things that you like about this movie, <laughs> regardless of the defensiveness, yeah. so the score, Henry, the characters... Henry Cavill was great casting. Even, even like, I know you were angry with how, like, Paul Kant was portrayed, but, like, Kevin Costner was brilliant casting. Like, that was very good. Agree think, to disagree. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so good casting. Uh, okay. Amazing score. Amazing score. Uh, what is that? Zimmer. Good yeah, Zimmer. Nice. Yeah. All right. Should we move on to number, number one? Number one. Yes. Superman two. The Dick Donner cut. <laughs> the Dick Donner cut. Specifically. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Dick Donner cut. Because that was so unfinished. Anyway, let's yeah. explain the what's the plot of Superman two. So, Superman 2, the Dick Donner cut, slightly different than the regular one. And it's probably important at this point to explain what the Donner cut is. So, when the movie was first filmed, they filmed Superman 1 and 2 back-to-back. And Superman 2, Donner directed Superman 1. He was 70% done, I think so, maybe 60, 70. 70% done Superman 2, but they had to go back and edit the first Superman. When they came back to finish it, the studio was like, no, we can't keep these scenes in here, because if you have Marlon Brando in this movie... If you have Marlon Brando, we have to pay him five percent of all our receipts plus like whatever twelve million dollars just to be just to be in it. And he's like, I want it my way. I can't do this. I get to do it how I want it. Like screw you, you're out. And they kicked him out seventy percent. And so then, in order to, in order for the new director to come in and claim director's credit for it, he had to shoot over fifty percent of the movies. So like a bunch of the stuff he shot, they actually reshot shot for shot with a new director and replaced over top of that. Right, so that's the one we saw in the theaters. Yeah, and the script slightly changed. So, like, so Mario Puzo wrote the script, and then that's the guy who wrote the Godfather movies, whatnot. And Superman 1. And Superman 1. And then, so after that, Tom Mankiewicz actually came in on Superman 1 with Dick Donner and kind of did some recuts, and same with Superman 2 and redrafts. And so then, when he left, they kind of made it, they wanted to get a bit different again, and they got Mario Puzo's drafts and kind of worked them back into it more in the actual Superman 2. And they added a little more comedy and whatnot into it of, like, when disasters happen, like, man's wigs flying off or skirts blowing up in the air or people falling over. But like so, they, so they released that in the theaters, but then Donner got the opportunity to sort of release his vision? I'd say the Donner cut's just better just because it's a story that was meant to be told and there's less plot holes. Mm. But the biggest plot hole in the Lester cut is you never find out how he got his powers back because they edited out the whole scene with Marlon Brando. Right, so in the movie, he, he at one point, he gives up his powers somehow in the Fortress of Solitude. The, the, the machine. Red light. The red, red light, yeah. yeah. Red sun chamber. Sure. So, so Donner <laughs> got a chance to re-release like the way he saw it. So it was when they were making Superman and Returns, it, yeah. So yeah. They had to do extra... They had, like, and it fills in a lot of the like a lot of the plot points that are missing, and it explains... like It sort of thickens out the movie, makes it make more sense. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. They think out the movie, make it more sense. So when they're making Superman Returns, they're going through archival footage to get uh, to get uh, Marlon Brando back in for that stuff, and they found all this extra stuff. And actually, Jeff Johns, he was an intern for... Um, his first job was an intern. He cold-called Dick Donner and became an intern. So Jeff Johns is like the guy behind DC Comics and the DC movies these days. And he was right. actually the guy who went in and discovered all this extra footage. He was like, holy crap, what are we <laughs> sitting on here? Okay, so Christopher Reeve, excellent performance. Excellent. Uh, you got Terrence Stamp as Zod. 
Yeah, Neil? Uh, Gene Hackman is back as Lex Luthor, although my understanding he didn't come back for any of the Lester reshoots. No, so he, he only did Superman. He only did the Donner stuff. The Donner the, stuff. So He would have come back, but the studio was like, we can't afford to pay him to come back again. It's all right. about it's all about dollar bills. Uh, isn't it always? So, uh, but this movie also ends with the same uh, going back in time, reversing time conceit as the first one, doesn't it? At least in the Donner cut. Um, yes, but in the in the Lester cut, it's a magical kiss, right? And this they stick to like they stick to what they established in the first Superman, the flying back around Earth. To- Although it okay. does become a little, uh, a little like, well, whenever Superman's got a problem, he just turns back time. That's, yeah. like, that's like the Flash too. It's, but it's like, I guess so. Would you rather? Would you rather him do that again, or would you rather him have a magical kiss? Yeah, power? and yeah. the magical kiss wipes her memory or yeah. something in that version, right? Like, I, yeah, correcting yeah. that one, thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff in it too. Like, it, and I'm not sure if it's in the Donner cut. I think it is, but he like throws his S. No, the, the, I think the S is only in the Lester. Only in the Lester cut. That's such a weird. That's a really good Family Guy scene. It's like, oh, it's a minor inconvenience. <laughs> yeah. So but, anyway, so it's a, a good movie. Is this another one of those uh, where the childhood viewing of it has really made it resonate with you? I think so. The movie I watched most as a child though was the first Superman. I had it taped off TV on a VHS back to back with the Wizard. Now that is a podcast I can get behind. <laughs> He was good, yeah, but uh, I don't know. But but you know, even I think like this was a great movie. It's uh, just I don't, the, the villains were believable and fun. The I, fun well, is the important part here. Yeah. There's a lot that I have trouble with in, in Superman 2, but the fun overrides a lot of that. Zod is goofy, but he's a you know, the whole. But he's still menacing. He's menacing, and the whole kneel before Zod thing is just part of the zeitgeist now. Yeah. Like, that's just. I mean, I know you're supposed to be intimidated, but that's just delightful. Yeah. <laughs> it is delightful. It's such a, <laughs> and it's such a traditional comic book. He makes the president kneel. Yeah. Because, of course, he goes to the president. The leader of the world. Like, it's, it's just, it, it's full of that comic book goodness. So essentially, if you could take that fun and transplant it into the Snyderverse, yeah. like, you think that's what's missing? I think so. What do you think? I don't know. I think they're just equally as fun. I don't know where the fun is in there that's not in here. I think you might be referring again to the score. I think you might want that uplifting <laughs> John Williams score. In any case, yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that's everything we've got for now. Um, special thanks to our special guest, Mike O'Leary, the DC Defender. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and you have any, you know, you got your opinion you want to share in the, you know, join his side or join ours. <laughs> Feel free to comment and such. But you've been listening to Geek Top 5. Thanks again to Mike O'Leary. Thanks to Ben Sound, to Stella Simeonova. And thanks to you for paying attention. We would love to hear from you on our Facebook, on our website, with all that information. You can email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. You can uh, Twitter us at geektop5. And you can send us a message on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5. That's it for today, but we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. So please stay tuned.